So, if you choose uh, to come up in a few minutes, all of us are going to file through and all of us will have a cross placed on our forehead with ashes and these words are going to be spoken over us. Remember that you are from dust and that to dust you shall return. They're eerie words, in a way, aren't they? The words come straight from the book of Genesis. They're the words that God spoke over Adam and Eve after their disobedience in the garden. Their sin had thrown open this new doorway in God's good creation. Sin and death stormed in and divided Adam and Eve from their maker, from each other, and truly from their own selves. Adam and Eve would begin to experience the slow, agonizing process of death. You know, it's not an accident that Hallmark and other retailers have taken hold of Christmas, Christmas and Easter, the, the joyful, bright Christian holidays, but not so much Advent and certainly not Lent. The dust and ashes don't mark it well, do they? There's not a lot to sell. A Christian might ask, or even a non-Christian, what is it that is redemptive about Lent? Is it ritual for ritual's sake? You know, frankly, that's what I secretly thought about people I saw with ashes as I was living in the uh, highly Catholic population of Baton Rouge and New Orleans. With a cynical sneer, I assumed they had spent Fat Tuesday earning those ashes, so they might as well wear them. Wear them. But I didn't think truly devout people needed them. I was wrong on a lot of fronts here. One of the big ways I was wrong was in understanding the significance of those ashes. You see, dust and ashes symbolize two themes at the heart of Lent, at the heart of Scripture, at the heart of Christianity, and at the heart of being human. Dust symbolizes our mortality. When we die, we turn to dust. Ashes symbolize our fallenness. Our sin before God that has brought on this death. So to say that we are dust and ashes is an admission that without God, we are only dust. If we are to live, if we're to have any existence that goes beyond dust, God must redeem us. And this is why the ashes are placed on our forehead in the shape of a cross. Because through the cross, God has done something about both problems. Our mortality and our sin. Jesus died to defeat both of these. He died and He rose from the dead to slam shut the door that Adam and Eve had thrown wide open and to open a new door. This door leads to eternal life. Now, when God's promise, promises in Scripture uh, come to us about eternal life, He's not merely promising us life forever. He's promising, promising us life that begins now and is increasingly more free of the sin that corrupts our life. 
So the joy that Christians look forward to in Easter, at Jesus' resurrection, is the joy of our lives being fully redeemed by God. Freed from the weight of our own proclivities toward pet sins, towards envy, towards selfishness, toward pride and lust. How do we get to this Easter joy? We don't just automatically get there, it's the snap of a fingers. This is where Lent comes in. Eternal life, a life not merely void of death, but a life that is truly rescued from ourselves and our sin, comes through relationship to Christ, our Redeemer. But life has this way of pressing in on all of us and crowding out our intimate relationship to God. It happens to all of us. Distractions and pet idols take on more and more significance in our lives. And Christ, rather than being our all in all, becomes something like our all when needed. So Lent is not necessarily a season that's set aside simply for all of us to beat ourselves up for a little while. It's a season for stripping down life to the essentials so that we can rediscover Christ and His abundant life. Let me draw our attention to our passages for a few minutes. There's a common thread that runs through all of them. The three passages that were just read, the passage in Isaiah, the passage in 2 Corinthians, and the gospel passage in Matthew. And here's the common thread that runs through them. On the other side of your devotion to God, you will find abundance. On the other side of your devotion to God, whatever that might cost you, you will find abundance. This is what humans long for, a life that overflows, that is full, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Each of our passages says that this kind of life comes in relationship to God. We'll start with our gospel passage in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pull from it to lead us to the other passages. So chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Obviously, Jesus is concerned that we don't put on a show with our devotion. Because when we do that, the only benefit we get from our devotion is the attention itself. In other words, we miss out on other potential benefits. This is Jesus' concern. We miss out on the benefits that really matter. We get benefits that don't matter. Now, there are two things in this passage that Jesus says are, are, are really striking to me. The first is that Jesus expects us, those who follow him, to practice righteousness. This is what he says. When you practice your righteousness, do it this way. What this means is that Jesus expects us to do things that align ourselves more fully with God. 
that make us more available to Him, that sort of open up our lives to God's activity more. Jesus gives us three examples of these kinds of righteous acts. The first is giving to the poor. This is almsgiving. We've used this language in our service tonight already. Almsgiving. And Isaiah speaks to this as well. In fact, in Isaiah, what we heard about, and Debbie, thank you for reading that passage so emphatically, because that is the way that God is speaking. Here in Isaiah, we heard about a group of people who were very good at what we might call spiritual disciplines, like fasting and prayer. But they use these disciplines as an excuse to avoid actually doing the things that God commanded. They had sectioned off an entire portion of their lives from God's influence, and they had become what you might call Gnostics. Gnostics are those who think that God has to do with all things spiritual, but God's not going to get His hands dirty with earthly things, physical things. So God tells these people that essentially, instead of busying themselves with prayer and fasting, they need to get busy doing right by their employees and the poor people in their community. Listen to what God says. Is is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your home? You know, it sounds strange to think of God saying something like, come on, get on with it now. But sometimes the biggest thing God wants from us is obedience instead of a continual delay, putting Him off with our spirituality. So this is what God says here. Stop fasting and praying and do what I've asked you to do. Passages like this one are why almsgiving, giving to the poor, has always been one of the main disciplines of the Lenten season. Because it's easy for some of us to perform spiritual disciplines like church going and prayer, but it's more difficult for us to deal with the ways that money can become an idol in our hearts, wrapping itself around us and constricting our faithfulness to God. So we use this season of Lent to reflect on how we're spending. We give more generously than normal. We seek out the poor and find ways to care for them. Our offering uh, today and then for the services during Holy Week as we get close to Easter are specifically for caring for the poor in our church and in our community. You know, the term social justice is this buzzword in today's popular culture. Uh, We can become weary of it, but the truth is that the Bible is really where this type of justice finds its roots. And it's in doing such justice that God's people begin to practice His righteousness, His ways. So this is just the first example Jesus gives us of practicing righteousness. The second example is prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus knows that humans long for intimacy with God. We long to know and be known by our Creator, to know that He knows us. 
And Jesus says that this kind of intimacy is formed in private prayer. In the patient silences when we lay bare our hearts and we listen. Our world is noisy. And we, if we're not already busy, we tend to busy ourselves. Busyness is sort of a virtue, it seems. And between our constant availability to others and the ever-present updates of our news and Facebook feeds pouring in, the voice of God easily gets drowned out of our lives. If Lent is a stripping down of our lives to the essentials, then it could mean for us placing stops on some of the noises that come our way. Spending time in the silence in which God can speak to us, can whisper, and we can hear Him. Prayer. This is the second way we practice righteousness. Jesus' third example of practicing righteousness is through fasting. When you fast, he says. And, and it, we should always be reminded of this. Each case, Jesus says, when you do this. In other words, you're, you better do it. Fasting is to deny ourselves food for a time in order to more vividly know Jesus as the source of our being. And withholding food or certain drinks, our spiritual senses are reawakened. We realize how much we have not been depending on God for our strength and our sustenance. We draw near to Him and He draws near to us. Jesus calls all of these things, giving to the poor, prayer and fasting, a form of practicing righteousness, which means we are identifying with the God who is righteous. In doing these things, we draw nearer to Him. We can open ourselves more fully to Him. It's not to say these things earn us God's love, but they do draw us closer to Him. They do. Now here's the second thing Jesus says that strikes me. And I'm going to paraphrase here. We should expect a reward. We should expect a reward. With each example, Jesus says that when we carry this out for God, this practice of righteousness, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I encourage you to underline each case. It's verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18. I think Christians sometimes seek God thinking we're supposed to do this with no thought of reward. But that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus is concerned that we would waste our reward on attention from people rather than attention from God. We seek God, he says, expecting that God is going to reward us and bless us in some way. Now, the same is true in our passage in Isaiah. God is concerned with His people because they aren't experiencing His blessing, His reward. And He says if they will repent, He'll bless them. He'll reward them again. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 
In other words, obey me and you will overflow with life again. Our passage in 2 Corinthians similarly speaks of an abundance of riches that persists even after having lost nearly everything. Paul has given his life to God, spreading the news of God's kingdom. It's cost him friendships, it's cost him a reputation, it's cost him physical pain. And yet, Paul says, we are poor, but we make many rich. It's as if we have nothing, but we possess everything. This is the kind of reward that Jesus is promising us. Seek your Father, and you will have everything. The season of Lent calls us to strip life down to its essentials. A relationship with God nurtured by generosity, by prayer, and by fasting. Aren't we all looking for abundance in our lives? Whether it's wealth, relationships, inner peace, or a stillness, a calm for a season. We're all looking for a life that overflows, and Lent is a way to find this. Easter is always coming with the joy of Christ's resurrection. But the joy of Easter will be far greater if we're willing to embrace the season of Lent and discover that God really is our reward and He longs to give Himself to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.